It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And good evening. Welcome. It's Thursday night, October the 18th, and you're with us for the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad that you're joining us and hope that you'll stay with us for the rest of this hour. We're going to go for an hour talking about important truths from the Word of God uh, it's a stormy night in Middle Tennessee, or at least there's the potential of that. And so as long as the electricity stays on and nothing else happens, we're going to go for an hour. Chris, my friend Chris Bates is joining me tonight. Chris, welcome. Thank you. And I want to th- say thanks to the elders here at College View for the opportunity to come and teach tonight. And also one of the members of the church here, Monty Overton, is with us. Monty, welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, Jacob, who's normally running the controls uh, here, is away, and so I'm at the control board. Chris, that's a potentially dangerous thing. Oh, you're doing good. You're doing Uh, fine. I think we're getting out there, and so we'll try to keep that up. We want you to participate with us. If you're listening, we want you to join in the discussion tonight. We've got uh, phone lines that are toll-free, 877-381-4567. You can call us. We'll get you on the air. We've also got uh, the ability to receive your email messages, and that email address is questions, plural, questions, at collegeview. Collegeview is C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com. And so send us an email message. We want to talk about what I think is an important topic tonight. And earlier today, I sent out to our email update list a couple of questions that I hope will introduce the subject we want to discuss I ask these questions. Number one, would you agree or disagree with this statement? There are Christians in all denominations. Now, instead of just a yes or no answer, I ask why or why not? So do you agree? Why or why not? There are Christians in all denominations. That was the first question. The second question was, is it reasonable to think that a person can become a true Christian while being consistently taught doctrinal error? Now, let me repeat that again. Would it be reasonable to think that a person could become a true Christian while being consistently taught doctrinal error? That sort of introduces the theme that we want to talk about tonight. We'd love your input. Give us a phone call or send us an email message. Give us a reply to those two questions or something along that line. That's the theme we want to pursue in our discussion tonight. I think it's an important subject. And I periodically, Chris, I periodically hear people talking about this. What about the idea? Are there... Christians in all denominations. Well, you know, this is a political season. And when you ask someone, in, uh, you know, who's running for presidential office these days, a particular question that seems direct to you and me, uh, you might get a 30 minute answer to that. Yeah. And uh, you'll pardon me if I have to at least expand on this question a little bit. Uh, not because the question is not worded fine, but it needs some qualification. When we say, are there Christians in all denominations? Uh, There are upwards of 2,500 denominations today. Uh, I'm not quite sure that it would be reasonable to believe that in all 2,500 denominations, there would be a possibility of Christians in every one. Now, now here's the the bottom line. 
Uh, I'm going to contend this at the very beginning of the show so that we can have time to flesh this out as we go on. The only way in which I can ever feasibly see a Christian in any denomination is in as much as he has fallen away and has joined up with a denomination. He was uh, obedient to the gospel of Christ. He was a faithful Christian but has fallen away. And maybe through the years uh, he hasn't had an ear for truth, and someone has convinced him of the denominational way being the way in which he should follow. And so he's joined up with a denomination. In that sense, you could have a Christian in a denomination in which, though, he has fallen away. But to think that perhaps there are 2,500 different denominations in which that could be a possibility, I would say is a little bit of a stretch. And so I would have to say no to the ultimate question. Well, uh, that does. Well, I think that certainly does deserve some fleshing out, and we want to do that. But, you know, actually, Chris, the question pre presupposes a couple of things that we need to, to get a handle on okay, first. Okay, now, if you'll, limit, if you'll limit me to that, if you're going to ask me the question, again, limit me to the presuppositions, I'll answer it differently. Okay. Let's talk about the idea, uh, well, the use of the word Christian. You know, most everything in the world has been labeled Christian. Either this is Christian, that's mm-hmm. Christian. you got a Christian softball game. you got a Christian ice cream social. you got a Christian who knows what. Uh, uh, and... As frequently as the word Christian is used, you would think that it must be surely found on every page of the Bible. You know, the the word Christian must be in there just hundreds of times. And I suppose the person who's not familiar with the scriptures might actually think that. But we're aware of the fact that the word Christian is only found in the New Testament three times. Right. Uh, In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Mm -hmm. In Acts 26, 28, when Paul had been making his defense before King Agrippa, King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And then Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. Those are the only three places in the whole Bible. I mean, you can't find it any place else. You can't find that, right. that word Christian. And so the word Christian was used very specifically. It was used to identify the people of God. Right, the followers of Christ. Following, followers of Christ. Um, I might just mention there are some people who think that that name was given as a as a derision or a put down, that that it was actually a a name of uh, of uh, disrespect that was assigned upon the disciples of Christ by unbelievers, and I actually think that's false. I I've heard that argument for a long time, but I really believe that that's false. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, for instance, talk about talked about a new name that God would give to His people. And I want to reference Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 2. If I can get my Bible open. I should have had it open already there. But in Isaiah 62, 2, it says, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And so notice in conjunction with the Gentiles being brought in, that a new name would be given, but it says that it would be given by the Lord. And so I believe that that would argue that the name Christian was a name not given in derision by the opponents of Christ, but actually given by the Lord himself. Actually, the verb, we, we, um, we referenced Acts eleven twenty six. the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The, the verb there, were called, is found nine times in the New Testament. And in every other instance, without exception, it's used in context where the calling is of God. And so 
I believe that would argue that this is a God-given name, not a name given by the opponents of Christ, but actually given by God himself. Well, one of the things that I think I could make a strong case against that idea, I've had somebody actually say that to me. They've said, uh, you know, we we think that uh, the term Christian, while we accept it, uh, is a name that is uh, almost a byword. Heathens gave the people of God the name Christian. Uh, one of the passages we just read was 1 Peter 4.16, and Peter wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter didn't just write something that came to his head, uh, or else his writings are no different than the writings that I might do today. Uh, and you remember what Jesus told his apostles in John 14 and in John 16 with reference to the coming of the Spirit and the purpose of the coming of the Spirit upon the apostles. He was to guide them into all truth and to bring to their remembrance all that Jesus had said. Well, in this instance, the apostle Peter is being guided into truth, and he's writing. Here's what he says. He says that if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. We're not talking about someone who is calling someone else something or a group of people who have labeled somebody else a certain name by way of identification even. The Holy Spirit now says, said you could glorify God by be call, being called by that name. That's right. So you've got you've got the case in Acts 11 where the Holy Spirit records what people were calling other people. You have the case in Acts 26 where the Holy Spirit records Agrippa's uh, discourse with Paul and what he described uh, based on what Paul had just said. Uh, but in First Peter 4, I think a strong case can be made for the fact that the Holy Spirit and to that end, the Father, God the Father, does not. Uh, submit himself to describing his creation in the terms of his creation. Uh, in other words, God doesn't listen to me and say, oh, well, Chris Bates said uh, this about that, and therefore I'll say this about that. You know, I mean, Peter was writing what the Holy Spirit dictated that he write, and it was God who determined that his people be called Christians. You know, in James chapter 2, verse 7, James says, do not blaspheme that worthy name by mm-hmm. which you are called. Well, it's a worthy name that we're right, called. Right. Uh, that would argue against the fact that it's a name given by heathens as a as a, a derogatory mm-hmm. toward the disciples of Christ. So I, I just think that that's a, we, uh, that's a little bit of an aside. But I do believe that we should have confidence in the fact that the name Christian is a God-given name. Monty? You know, when you think about the word Christian, it says disciples were called Christians. Well, then we have to look to see what a disciple is. Well, a disciple is someone who follows a certain belief system or a certain teacher in their teachings and patterns their life after that. So when we think about the word Christian and we use that word, we're not just, we, we use the word too loosely. A Christian is someone who is patterning their lives after a certain set of teachings. So if a person is following a different set of teachings than what's found in the Bible, even though he may believe in Jesus, he's not following those teachings. He's not discipling himself after that pattern in the New Testament. So he's really not a Christian. I think, I think that's exactly right. And we need to get into that pretty seriously as we continue to discuss this subject. Um, let's talk for a minute, real briefly, fellas, about what doesn't make a person a Christian. For instance, I would suggest a person is not a Christian simply because they're a good moral person. Uh, the British philosopher Bertrand Russell said, if you mean by Christian, a man who loves his neighbor, who has wide sympathy with suffering, and who ardently desires a world freed from the cruelties and abominations which at present disfigure it, then certainly you will be justified in calling me a Christian. So Bertrand Russell said, basically, if you're just talking about a good man who loves his neighbor and who 
who has sympathy toward those who are suffering and so forth. Uh, you can call me a Christian if you want. But that same Bertrand Russell wrote a book and gave a lecture that was widely distributed called Why I Am Not a Christian. And so, in other words, he was he he acknowledged that he was a moralist, but he was not a follower of Jesus. Sure. Just being a good moral person doesn't make a person a Christian. And of course, I don't believe there's any better place in the Bible than to go to Acts chapter 10 in the case of Cornelius, who was maybe one of the best moral men ever described in the scriptures but still was not saved. Absolutely. You've got the case of Cornelius where uh, Peter is sent to his home, and the purpose of Peter's coming to his home was to bring to him words whereby he and his house would be saved. Now, Cornelius was respected by the Jews. There's no question about that. He uh, he was uh, one who feared the Lord, and the text says he feared the Lord, uh, and he prayed and all of these kind of things, and yet he was told to send for Peter because Peter would come and tell him words whereby he would be saved. The implication of that statement is very clear. If if Peter's going to come to Cornelius' home to bring words whereby he would be saved, the implication is Cornelius was not saved, yet he was a moral individual. Real quickly, we're going to come up on a break, and we've got a phone call waiting. But real quickly, I would also add, you're not a Christian if you just because you're a good moral person. You're not a Christian because you're a theist or a believer yeah, in God. Sure. You know, there are plenty of people who claim to believe in God who don't believe in Jesus Christ. You know, the Jews claim they believe in Jehovah God. The Muslims claim they believe that same God, yeah. but but they're not Christians. They don't believe Jesus Christ is God's son. Right. And you can't be a Christian just because you claim to believe in deity, sure. but you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, then you can't be a Christian. Jesus said, he that rejects me rejects him that sent me, Luke right. 10, verse 6. Yeah. And one more before we go to this break, I would also argue that you're not really a Christian. Now, we've had various programs on the notion of faith-only salvation. Sure. Virtual Bible study has dealt with that subject. And I think we've proved conclusively that a person is not saved by faith only. Mm-hmm. And you're not a Christian just because you claim to have faith in Jesus Christ. A real good example of that is in John chapter 12, beginning verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, even of the rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that is of men more than the glory that is of God. I heard a preacher preach a sermon one time called Unsaved Believers. These people were believers, but they clearly weren't saved. They wouldn't confess Jesus. Sure. And Jesus said, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father, which is in heaven, Mm -hmm. Matthew 10, 33. So just having faith in God or just having faith in Jesus doesn't make a person a Christian. Sure. Well, we got a lot more to say about this. We need to go to a break. We're going to take that break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you. Got one call on the line, but you can get in too. Uh, the phone number is 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. And we'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to 
to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back, and we welcome you back to the virtual Bible study. Hope you'll stay with us throughout this hour as we discuss some important Bible truths. We've got a caller on the line, and we want to go to that call right now. We've got Dick calling from California. Hello, Dick. Are you there? Yes. Dick, you're on with us on the virtual Bible study. Thanks for calling. In answer to the question, are the Christians in all denomination, my answer is no, and the reason that I've come to that conclusion is using the uh, illustration that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 about the church being the body. We uh, find out in Ephesians 4 that there's one body. Uh, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians and Colossians 1 says that the body is the church, and the uh, and that there's only one. And Paul uses the illustration of the body and says that uh, not all members are the same, and there's different. He says that, you know, that there's, the toe is different than the finger and, uh, and says that you are the uh, members of the body. The denominational world says that those members are various denominations, but it doesn't uh, compute when you look at the fact of DNA. The DNA of a little in the little toe of a human body will match the DNA of his ear, of his hair, uh, bodily fluids. In other words, they're directed by the same code or the same instructions. Every right. every cell in my body is is a, is being um, uh, ordered or or directed by the same exact code of information. Right, and and so if the little toe would say is is a denomination, and it says that all you have to do is believe to be saved, and the little finger says, no, you have to have received the Holy Spirit, then you've got different DNA there. I, I, never, heard it, I never heard it put that way before, Dick, but I think you make a good point, uh, that, that, in, uh, that we are one body, but the members of the body are the several members of the body, not various religious organizations that make up a body. And you identify it by the DNA. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Dick. You've got spiritual DNA, and if if the body parts are are denominations, you've got uh, got a Frankenstein kind of a monster there. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think that's a good way to put it. I appreciate that, Dick. Thanks for calling the Virtual Bible Study. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, I think he makes a good point that, that... there is just one body, and if and in any healthy functioning body, it has to be maintained by uh, a, a unified code, operating code, and that sure. and that operating code for the body of Christ is His Word. Absolutely, and and that's only going to produce uh, after its kind. It's it's not going to produce. Uh, we got We got a dial zone. Is this yeah, thing yeah. working? I think right. we got it. All right. I you think, think we, we got, got it at that time? Yeah, I think we got okay. it. Okay. All right. Well, so anyway, uh, you're right. When you plant the seed of the kingdom. It produces only a Christian. It cannot produce uh, anything else. When you plant a certain type of seed for a particular plant, uh, it's not going to bring forth something other than what you intended it to to bring forth, what it actually is. Uh, So when I plant the seed of the kingdom into the hearts of men by preaching the gospel, it's not going to produce uh, Catholics, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Baptists, and on down the road there. 
Uh, it is only going to produce after its kind. The seed of the kingdom produces only the fruit of God, which is the Christian. Okay. Well, we, we've kind of investigated this idea of what makes a Christian. I think that's fundamental to the, to the question we're asking. Are there Christians in all denominations? Well, what does it take to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. Not just a moral person, not just a believer in God or Jesus Christ. Right. You've got you to obey the instructions of the Word of God to be a Christian. And in, in fact, I would go so far to say just because you've been baptized doesn't assure the fact that you're a Christian. Sure. Because there are some things that people engage in and call baptism that's not real baptism. For instance, there are people who are sprinkled. and They right. call it baptism. Sure. The, the New Testament is very clear on the matter mm-hmm. that baptism is immersion in water. Right. So we, we would not even say that all baptized people are in a right relationship with God. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 19, we read an example of some people who were immersed and still weren't in a right relationship with God. In Acts 19, in the city of Ephesus, Paul found some men who had been baptized by John's baptism, didn't even know about Jesus Christ, and had to be baptized again in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So even, even just being baptized doesn't make one a Christian. And so being a Christian involves obeying the things that are taught in the Word of God. It is important to point out, though, that one cannot become a Christian apart from baptism. While baptism, uh, somebody who has submitted to it, doesn't necessarily make him a Christian. I submitted to Baptist baptism growing up. Uh, That didn't make me a Christian. Uh, But you cannot be a Christian apart from baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, baptism that is authorized by him for the purpose in which he intended the remission of sins. Here's an argument that I think works, Chris. In Matthew's account of the Great Commission, Matthew recorded Jesus saying, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Well, the verb there, make disciples. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's a command. That's in the imperative mode. Make commands. Do this. Go make uh, disciples. But it's followed by a participle. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And that sets forth the manner of the action to be performed. In other words, they were to make disciples, and they did that by baptizing them. Sure. And so that means to be a in order to be a disciple, you have to be baptized. Right. So make disciples by baptizing them, it says in the Great Commission. Well, we already read Acts eleven twenty six, which says the disciples were called Christians. Mm-hmm. So if you have to be baptized to be a disciple and you have to be a disciple to be a Christian, then you have to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be a Christian. Absolutely. Money? I think it also in that same scripture there, it says teaching them to observe all things. If you have a person who may have been up through that point of baptism, but they're not observing all things, then they're not being that disciple of Christ, right. which is what we understand Christians are. I think that's exactly right. All right, so we've talked about what it takes to be a Christian. Our, our friend Dick in California called in and said, well, you know, if you're going to have Christians in these various denominations, how could that be? Because they're not following the same genetic code, so to sure. speak. He called it DNA, right. re- relating it to a physical body. I think it'd be worthwhile talking for a minute about denominationalism. What is denominationalism? Chris, how would you define denominationalism? Uh, I'd define it as division, religious division. Um, You think about the term denomination, and it just simply means a division of sorts. And you could apply that to money. You could apply that to fractions. 
Uh, I was horrible in math, but I can retain some of the things that I learned. It took me about five years to grasp the concept of fractions, but I can remember now uh, that in fractions, uh, at least uh, barring the fact that you had a whole number coupled with a fraction, the fraction itself uh, was made up of a numerator and a denominator. The denominator was the bottom number, which divided the numerator. And so if the fraction was three-fourths, Right. It, it really meant three divided by four. Right. And, and the denominator there on the bottom was what did the dividing. Right. And denomination is division. It is uh, it is the fact of separate and distinct organizations of particular believers or folks who hold to a particular creed. Uh, all, them, all of them in the context of this study claiming to be Christians, claiming to be followers of Christ, and yet subscribing to... Uh, really significant doctrines, uh, some subscribing to, as you mentioned, sprinkling for baptism, others subscribing to immersion for baptism, but not in order to the remission of sins, but because of the remission of sins. Some subscribing to once saved, always saved. Others subscribing to premillennialism or something like that. Uh, these are various doctrines or some even transubstantiation, you know, concerning the Lord's Supper that separate and distinguish them from another, uh, not on the basis of what the Scripture teaches, but on the basis of what their creeds allow. That's the idea uh, that produces denominationalism. And, and the bottom line on that is denominationalism occurs when people think more highly of a man and his way than they should. Remember 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, Paul uh, encouraged the Corinthians that they should not think of men above that which is written. When you do that, when you think of men above that which is written, you end up with someone saying, hey, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas. Uh, that's what happens. Rather than thinking more highly of Christ and of his sonship and headship now over the Lord's church and his king, uh, his being king over his kingdom, the kingdom which he was given upon his ascension to heaven, uh, when you begin to think of the mortal man more highly than you should, you begin to follow that mortal man and you create denominationalism. Well, you know, one of the things that's rather surprising to me is that people imagine that this division, I think you're exactly right, denominationalism in its very name suggests a divided state. Right. Have, have people not read the scriptures in which division is condemned? Uh, you know, religious division is condemned both in the Old Testament and the New. King sure. David said it's a good and pleasant thing when brethren dwell together in unity, Psalm 133. Um, and Jesus prayed, you know, his last prayer before he was crucified. He prayed that all those who professed being his disciples would be one in John 17, verses 20 and 21. Why are we saying, well, Jesus, we know you prayed that, but we're not worried about trying to fulfill your desire, we're going to split up and we're going to divide and we're going to each believe and practice our own thing and there's going to be no unity at all and we're going to say that's okay. When we know, in fact, that Jesus prayed for something different than that. Numerous texts in the New Testament condemn division. You just you just made reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, where Paul condemned the church at Corinth because they were all divided up and following after different men and, mm-hmm. and, and all in different factions. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Paul said, mark the man who causes division. Avoid him. Uh, you know, so actually that fellow was to be disciplined by other Christians if he would cause division. Philippians 2, verse 2, uh, Paul said that we ought to have the same mind, the same love, be of one, be of one accord, be of one mind. And so there's plenty of information that says the Lord does not approve religious division, and yet somehow in our day and age it's been it's been decided that it's okay, and it's even a good thing 
for us to be all divided up. Well, the reason people think it's okay is because, in their minds, no one is hurt by this. I mean, you know, look at all the good that the denominations have done. They have they have taken from their treasury and they have funded this organization or that charity or something like that. And and to them, the ends justify the means. And as long as one is doing something from a good and sincere and honest position, then that uh, just negates any evil thing that might be associated with that. But the bottom line is this. Uh, first of all, in the first century, there were no such denominations. Were there divisions within with, among the Lord's people? Yes, and it was addressed. And when the people who were part of the division stopped what they were doing that was wrong and followed that divine and objective standard, then the division that existed stopped immediately. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, you 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 have to consider also that we have a very crafty enemy. Uh, the devil is back of all of this stuff. The devil is the one who is the uh, one roaming about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is described in the scriptures as crafty, subtle. Uh, he is back of this. Believe me, uh, if if you don't believe anything, believe the scriptures for sure, that uh, the devil has a purpose and denominationalism serves it well. I think that's exactly that's a good way to put it. Before we go to our next break, I want to make, I think, the ironclad argument that there's really only truly one church of our lord and savior jesus christ ephesians 4 verse 4 says there's one body now in the same epistle ephesians chapter 4 chapter 1 in verses 22 and 23 Mm -hmm. it says that god has put all things under jesus feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body so ephesians 4 4 says there's one body Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says the body is the church. If there's one body and the body is the church, there's just one church. That's right. That is so politically incorrect, Chris. I can't believe you would acknowledge that. Well, I'm not concerned with being politically correct or accepted of men. Uh, I'm more concerned with whether or not I obtain favor from the Lord. And so if that means that we have to endure some kind of of uh, naysaying or persecution or even uh, the very stopping of our lives, then so be it. That's what we have to, you know, we've got a lot better than the first century Christians did. Well, we're going to keep discussing this. We want you to join in the discussion. Our phone number is 877-381-4567. Give us a call or send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. 
Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I want to hear your comments. So if you have one, call 931-381-4567 or email your questions at questions at collegeview.com. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now back to the program. We're back, and we're glad you're joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. We hope you'll stay tuned till the top of the hour. We're talking about important things, and we want you to get in on the discussions. The number is 877-381-4567, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Well, Chris and Monty, I've got a, a lot of emails coming in here where people are, are commenting about us, and, I, and admittedly, we've got some pretty diverse opinions on this, so I thought we'd just read them and sure. comment, sure. see what we think. we got an email now, remember the questions that we ask. Number one, would you agree or disagree, why or why not, with this statement, there are Christians in all denominations? And then, number two, is it reasonable to think that a person could become a true Christian while being consistently taught doctrinal error? Well, before we get to this, I, I guess i got to make one more comment here. The question is actually a bad question. Are there Christians in all denominations? Here's the problem with that. I think almost everybody would draw the line somewhere and say, oh, that's I can't go with that. I can't abide that. For instance, were there Christians in David Koresh's cult in Texas before the right. before the government crashed into that compound and killed a bunch of them? Yeah, the Branch Davidians. Yeah. Were, they, yeah. Were, were they Christians? Were there Christians in that group? Uh, or maybe even some groups. Or the, or the Heaven's Gate. You remember that? They were following the Hale-Bopp Comet back about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they all had this idea that uh, the God, Lord, The Lord was returning in that. Yeah, in that spaceship ship. that was in the tail of the Hale-Bopp Comet. If yeah. they'd just take their own lives, they were going to end up on that spaceship somehow. Now, were, were, were they Christians? Were they, these people Christians? Yeah, what I'm saying is almost everybody would draw the line. Someone yeah, would say, no, no, that's, no, no, that's too, too extreme. extreme. A lot of people would draw the line by saying, well, I don't think the Mormons are real Christians, right. or I don't think the Jehovah's Witnesses sure. are real Christians, or I've even known plenty of people say, I just, I just can't agree with the Catholic Church. I just can't believe that the Catholics are right. But what I'm saying is everybody draws the line somewhere. So if you ask that question, are there Christians in all denominations, notice the word all. If you take some, you've got to take all. Right. And most everybody will say, well, no, I don't go along with all denominations. Well, sure. where do you draw the line then? Sure. And if and and really the only reasonable place to draw the line is to draw it based upon what the scriptures teach, mm-hmm. because drawing it any other place becomes totally subjective. And and sure. your opinion, Chris, your opinion, Monty, my opinion, we all got our own opinions. But the the real issue is what does the Bible say about that? Right. Where you know are there Christians in the denominations? That's what we got to ask. So let's go to these uh, questions. Uh, Anthony here in Columbia, Tennessee, writes in and he says absolutely not. If a person is a part of a denomination, then they have necessarily not obeyed the proper plan of salvation. They were not added to the Lord's church if they were baptized for the wrong reason or at the wrong time. I don't know of any denomination that actually practices scriptural baptism. Also, a Christian is one who is part of the Lord's church, of which there is only one. If he was baptized into a denomination, he has joined a man-made church. Well, I think I would agree with what Anthony's saying, with the possible exception of what you noted earlier, right. Chris. A person could have been baptized properly and in, sure. a, in, in, in a faithful church mm-hmm. and fallen away from that. Now right. maybe he's off over here in this denomination. He, he would be a fallen away or a wayward Christian. Right. But in regards to someone 
in that mm-hmm. denomination who never had known anything else, Anthony is talking about that kind of Yeah, person. I'm not trying to mop up the spill here. I want to make every every effort to make this clear. I am in perfect agreement, first and foremost, with the Scriptures, and at least I, I try to be. If I'm not, then, then someone correct me. Uh, that's my first uh, appeal. Secondly, I'm in perfect agreement with our caller Dick from earlier and Anthony who writes that. I'm completely uh, in agreement with that. The only the only thing I brought up was the fact that there are scenarios wherein one has obeyed the gospel, has been taught the truth, and just for the sake of clarity, let's say he's been a faithful Christian, maybe even a preacher, uh, but for whatever reason, he, he his faith failed, uh, as some did in the New Testament. Uh, Paul urged, or at least the Hebrew writer, urged that they not allow their faith to fail uh, lest they fall away from the living God. That happens, and when it happens, you've got an, a, fa- a fallen away Christian, and maybe he joins up with a denomination. In that sense only could I could I affirm the question, but uh, by and large what Anthony says is, you know, you've, you've got this situation where That's somebody's the, thrown Anthony's up. describing the general right. rule. And I, I absolutely agree with that. That's yeah. right, because you can't be taught wrong. And baptize right. You can't be taught wrong concerning salvation and become a Christian adhering to that doctrine. You can't do it. Yeah. I want to just take these uh, in sort of random order here. So you guys comment. My good friend Randy up in Jackson, Missouri. Randy and I go back. Randy and I have been knowing each other for almost 40 years. Are you, you and Randy have yeah, been? Yeah. Okay. Randy, can you believe, if you're listening, can you believe it's been that long? But Randy writes, he says, I would agree that it's possible that there are Christians in all denominations. A Christian is defined by what he believes. However, in many denominations, if a person believes errors about how to be saved, that that denomination teaches, they cannot be a Christian. It is probably true that the denominations that teach error have few Christians. Uh, I would would here have to disagree with, with Randy a little bit. A Christian, I would add, a Christian is defined not just by what he believes, but by what he does right. in response to what he believes. I think he would accept that. I don't think he would back off of that. Yeah, that, that's probably right. Uh, and and he he goes to the point that we're going to comment about here in a little bit as as to regards to could you be consistently taught error. He says right. if a denomination teaches error about how to be saved, then that person couldn't be a Christian being taught right. error about how to be saved. And right. I would agree with Randy on that. You know, when we get back to what we was talking about earlier, if a person is a Christian, they're, then they're a disciple or a follower of a certain set of beliefs. If you're believing or having been taught and believe something outside of what we find in the Scriptures, then you can't be a Christian. I think that's right, too. Uh, we, got a, we got an email from Al in uh, Ocala, Florida. And Al says, uh, are there Christians in all denominations or there are Christians in all denominations? He says, I disagree with that. They are not, in other words, he's saying he does not believe there are Christians in all denominations. He goes on and he quotes John eight twenty four: if you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Absolutely. Monty, this is what you were just saying. Yes. To be a disciple, you've got to abide in his word. That's right. Complete and totally what Jesus said. Nothing more and nothing less. Okay. Al goes on to say, logically evaluated, if one does not abide... Uh, which means to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, then by definition such one is not a disciple of Jesus Christ and thus is not a Christian. It's interesting that John's comment in 831, John 831, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, clearly Jesus himself demands more than those who would be his disciples than simple mental assent that he's the Messiah. 
To teach, preach, practice anything contrary to the doctrine of Christ renders one not a Christian. When one identifies with any religious group teaching, believing, or practicing anything contrary to the doctrine of Jesus Christ, they are not Christians. And so that's from Al and Ocala. Al, thanks for participating in the virtual Bible study tonight. Um, you got a thought there, Chris? No, I was okay. just running something down right quick. Okay. But I, right. Was, I was going to try to show from uh, uh, from the fact that some of those Jews who believed him uh, ended up uh, going away yeah. after, after this discourse. Yeah. They, they believed him. But they went away. So yeah, by the, end of, by, by the end of chapter 8 of John, right. they were calling him, saying he had a devil. Yeah, then they picked up stones to throw at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, but the, they believed it. Initially, they believed him, but the, the more right. they learned about what he was teaching, they didn't like it, and they right. turned away. All right, we got an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee. Don says, there are Christians in all denominations. He says, the statement is false. In all denominations, there may be people who are spiritually dead, but will someday become alive spiritually. However, once they become spiritually alive, they will start out as a babe, uh, a baby believer who, as they grow in the faith, will eventually leave the denominations for the true church. Right. So he, he's making a point there that I think we want to, again, we want to expand upon this some more. And it sort of goes to the second question. What about being taught wrong? If you're consistently taught wrong and you stay under the influence of that teaching and never come out of it, you can't be right. If you're taught right. wrong, you can't be right. Right. But if you are a truth seeker, and as you continue to investigate the truth, you'll come out of those places where they're teaching doctrinal error and seek sure. the true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. As I was uh, talking about following the doctrine of Jesus, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2, Peter equated the apostles of the Lord by, with the holy prophets who had came before the, of the Old Testament prophets. And so he was taught, so we can understand from that, that the apostles' teachings are equal to and the same as the doctrine of Christ. So we'd have to take the whole New Testament mm-hmm. and the, everything the apostles taught to understand that that's doctrine, it's prophetic, and it came from God. Okay. I think that's right. On, on that, uh, Again, on that idea of being taught wrong, um, you, you've got a kid who whom you send off to school, and he goes to school and he learns things that are uh, important for him to learn so that he can better himself uh, as he grows older. He needs an education. Uh, He needs to have an education in order to succeed in life, to accomplish his goals and all of these kinds of things. To hold down a good job, an education is necessary. An understanding of of very basic truths is uh, essential. And so here's the point. You learn what you have been taught, and you retain what you've been taught. And so as a little child goes to school, uh, a very humble and very trusting child, he takes in what he's learning, and he puts his trust in the teacher who is teaching him. And so when the teacher says to little Johnny, uh, in teaching him mathematics, that 2 plus 2 is 4, there is an objective answer to that. Uh, It is not 5. It is not 6. However, if that teacher consistently taught 2 plus 2 is 6 to a child who had not been taught at all before he goes to school, that is what's going to impress impress him. His mind will be shaped by what he hears and what he learns. If he learns from a teacher something that isn't true. And so he's going to have to be untaught that and yeah. taught the truth. And, and the point is he's taking this on faith. He's trusting this teacher. He, he's trying to put all of this together. And when he does, he holds to a system that when you get into the real world will not work 
you'll find out very quickly in the grocery store that's not going to work. You know, if he's uh, not and, taught the proper principles right. of mathematics, he can never arrive at the proper and correct answer. Right. If we're not taught the proper spiritual principles that we find in the New Testament, then we'll never be able to arrive at the correct answer to, to achieve salvation. I think that's a good and, analogy. And thus the conclusion, you cannot be taught wrong on salvation and come to the truth all the while, unless unless you're being taught the truth from someone else. Okay. You, uh, you guys are really stepping on the second question, but I think you're doing it right. I think your answer is exactly right. That, And I like that expression a lot. I've heard that for years. Preachers have been saying that forever. It can't be taught wrong and baptized right. You right. can't be taught wrong and be right. Someone, someone had said earlier they don't know of any denomination teaching the truth on baptism, and I, I concur. I don't know. If there, if there is, I don't know who it is. Uh, I don't know of a denomination that teaches the truth on baptism. So that being essential, not the only thing essential, but essential to salvation, uh, any essential part of the plan of salvation that's left off and not done does not complete the salvation process. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's where you are. Let me go real quickly to another email. This comes from another dear friend that I've been knowing almost 40 years uh, from Indianapolis, Indiana. Frank writes, Reaction to question number one, I will not answer this question because I believe it is God who makes the determination of who will enter his kingdom. He may choose a person from a denomination if he desires. I love Frank, but I got to really disagree with sure. him on this one. Uh, God does make the determination who enters his kingdom, and he told us what those determining factors are in his word. And and so God could choose, God could choose anybody he wanted. An atheist. But he chose to save those that he said would obey the gospel. Sure. And so, in other words, I believe we have to be more definitive than this answer. Sure, God could have chosen to save people any, any way he wanted, anybody right. he wanted, but the ones he cho- But what he did choose, he revealed to us in his word, and we can read it and learn it and know who are his children. And while we're not a person's judges to be deter- for us to determine, we can take the measuring stick of the Bible and see where these people measure. If they fulfill these commandments, we can see that they measure properly. Otherwise, we can see that they don't. That's exactly right. We're going to take one more break, and then when we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour. We want to hear from you. Give us a call, 877-381-4567, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results 
our own common sense, and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we're back for the final segment of our program tonight. We're glad you're listening. We hope you'll make it a regular appointment to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about the College View Church of Christ, check out our website, www.collegeview.com. And you'll find plenty of information. You'll find the times of our services. You'll find some offers of Bible study materials. You'll find directions to our assembly place. You'll find uh, all kinds of information there, and we invite you to check that out. Okay. I want to go back just very briefly to that last comment there because I think it strikes at the heart of uh, very objective statements in the Scriptures. Like, for instance, John seven twenty four: Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Uh, we have an obligation to judge with a righteous standard and an objective standard, and the only way we can do that is to use the Scriptures. They are always right. And so uh, the thing that, that will happen is if we say things like, well, I, I'm just going to let the Lord determine all of that uh, regarding salvation, when he, first of all, has already determined it, like you said, he's already determined that, but he's revealed it also. And if we are going to say that in some cases, if God wants to choose some of these people to be Christians in their error, in their denominational error, then that strikes at the heart of statements like what Peter made uh, in Acts 10, that he says, I understand that God is not a respecter of persons. That would make him that. It would also uh, strike at the heart of very simple statements like he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved because there are people who believe he that believeth and is not baptized shall be saved. And now I'm being told by someone, and I'm not talking about our, our emailer here, but somebody hypothetically says, oh, listen, you can't say that he that believe the fellow who preaches he that believeth and is not baptized shall be shall be saved uh, is not a Christian because that's for God to determine. Well, that statement is given for me to obey, and also, as, as, as uh, we, we heard a moment ago, Monty said, it's kind of like the measuring stick here. This is the standard, and a fellow doesn't, doesn't hold to that standard. He's not a Christian, and that's God's judgment, not mine. That's right. But that's the thing. You know, God can choose. Like I said, God could choose anybody he wanted, but he told us who he did choose. And, and the final thing about that very quickly is that it would make me, if I'm going to hold to that idea, if, if that idea becomes my idea, uh, I'm going to have to then question whether or not I can believe what I'm reading in the scriptures. Well, is that true or is that do, not do true? Do words mean anything? Right. Yeah. And that's the, you know, that we, we've got to be careful with that kind of thinking. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, we just I have to be. I agree. Quick, we're going to have to hurry to get through all these uh, sure. emails. Let's go quickly. Pat down in Harvest, Alabama makes a simple point. Same one you were making earlier, Chris. There are plenty of fallen away Christians in denominations. Sure. Maybe we should should be more specific and say faithful Christians. We don't believe there are faithful Christians in the denomination. Obviously, yeah, obviously not. Uh, we got an email from Jason in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Jason, we're glad you're participating in the virtual Bible study tonight. He said, I would disagree that there are Christians in all denominations. I would go even further than that and say that there are not Christians in any denominations. There's no such concept even taught in the scriptures, and it is even condemned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 3. The only church that has Christians in it are the, is the Lord's church. This church is entered when the Lord adds us to it, Acts 2.47, when we obey the pattern of teaching that was delivered to us from the heart 
Romans 6:17. There cannot be true Christians in denominations because if they had followed from the heart the doctrine delivered to them, they would not be a part of that denomination. They would have left it and become part of the Lord's church. Uh, that's strong wording, but I agree with it. Yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing out of step with that statement. That is exactly right. And, you know, this is, let, let's be clear, this is not an assault or an attack on the character of people in the denominational world. Do we we're, we're not talking at all right. tonight about anybody's sincerity no, no. or zeal or anything. We're just talking about what the Bible says. Right. I mean, we, we could talk about Judas. He was sincere in his remorse when he threw the 30 pieces of silver back into the temple sanctuary. Uh, I guarantee you he was brokenhearted, but after a sorrow that was of the world, not yeah. not of godly sorrow. But he was he was not happy with what he had done. That's sincere. And yet he died. He hung himself. He lost his soul. He died outside of Christ. Uh, in all of his sincerity. In Romans 10, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but yeah. not according to knowledge. Paul said, I want them to be saved, but they're not. Right. They've got zeal, but they're not saved because they, don't, they haven't learned what they need to learn. Right. Real quickly, Johnny from Leoma, Tennessee writes, Are there Christians in all denominations? If you mean all denominations as in all who claim to be a follower of the Bible and has Jesus as their head, then in my opinion, this question can truly only be answered by the individual and, of course, God. That would be an area of judging one another. However, I do believe we can view the fruits of any man to determine their Christ-like fruits. But to say in a blanket statement that all are or are not Christians would be above my ability to do. I have a full-time job keeping my own self straight. Uh, Without Jesus, this is impossible. My guess would be that we need to focus inside our own selves before we look toward others. My wish is that everyone would become Christians, but sadly, we know that will not happen. What about that? Now, Johnny, he's saying, you know, I I can't judge that. It's not within my realm of things that I can judge. What do you think about that? Well, Paul judged the Israelites weren't saved uh, that you just read in Romans chapter 10. uh, And so I can judge after that order, you know, know, based on on righteous judgment. judgment. According to the standard of the New Testament that was given to us, according to that measuring stick, he was able to measure what these people were practicing and see that it was insufficient, that they were not saved people. We can we have that same measuring stick, the Bible, given to us. It's complete and without error, and we can take that measuring stick and measure and see if people are saved according to their actions. Je- Jesus even commanded us, John seven twenty four, judge righteous judgment. And we all, have to do it. We're commanded to do it. And, right. and if it's going to be a righteous judgment, then it's a judgment based upon the revealed based truth of God. the word of God. Well, Johnny says here at the end of his email, my guess would be that we need to focus inside our own selves before we look toward others. Um, but, um, you know, he says up here at the top in his opinion, this question can truly only be answered by the individual. Uh, that would be an area of judging one another. However, you know, I, you know, he, he went on to say that he believed that you could tell by the fruits of an individual. But nonetheless, um, you know, his his point was that uh, at least as you said, you, you paraphrased his point. You said that uh, he was saying he didn't feel comfortable that we could judge one another. And yet. The closing words were, if we look inside our own selves, at least the implication was we could look to others. So uh, if I have done that, if I've looked within myself to make sure that I am in a right standing before the Lord based on his word and adherence to it, can I then... Well, that's that Jesus said I could in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Right. Get the yeah. beam out of my own eye, and then I can see clearly to get the speck out of my brother's eye. Absolutely. He, that's a misused passage. The, the passage actually teaches take care of yourself and then help others. Sure. Let's uh, go quickly to an email from Wade in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Wade says, unfortunately, the devil has split churches over and over again since the first century. 
beginning in Acts 8, verse 30, is the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Obviously, every Christian has a beginning. At this point, I believe that the Ethiopian eunuch was a Christian. In three months, he may have turned away, but at this point, I think he was saved. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11, Paul wrote, I write unto you, or I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Uh, he calls him a brother. We may call him an erring brother. He's still a Christian, uh, uh, and he doesn't have to be rebaptized. And I think I would agree with with what Wade is saying there. You know, there, there are fallen Christians, but uh, and and there may be some of those in the denominations. But there aren't probably what we're wanting to say to define this more accurately. There aren't any faithful Christians in man-made religious organizations. Our friend Jack in uh, Atlanta writes. I guess another question would be, could someone obey the gospel as laid out in the scriptures and still be attending a denominational body? Can we separate someone from the denominational teaching if they have acted independently of their denominational body? When they leave that denominational body, do they need to be baptized again? Uh, That's his question. Well, in answer to his question, do they need to be baptized again? I would argue in some instances, yes, probably in the majority of instances. I would would reference Acts 19 to the fact that those who were taught wrong— even though they had been immersed, had to be baptized again when they were taught right. You know, we were saying you can't be taught wrong and baptized right. And so, yes, I would say in in the vast majority of cases now, again, there may be somebody out there who's baptizing people properly for the remission of sins. But even at that, they don't have a proper understanding of the one true body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They don't have a true understanding of what they are being baptized into. And so I'd have some real concerns about the level of their understanding when they were baptized, and you know, Acts or uh, Romans six seventeen says that our obedience must be from the heart. And I can't obey from the heart that which I do not understand in my heart. Right. And so, if I've taught, been taught wrong, I can't be baptized right. Sure. And you want to be careful about you know just how much we're going to place on what what the what the uh, alien sinner is supposed to know before he's baptized. I mean, there there was a, a brief encounter with uh, eunuch the eunuch and Philip in Acts chapter eight. And I've got an idea that when Philip was preaching to him concerning Christ, he wasn't going on and on and on uh, about uh, so many things that uh, people are talking about today, uh, like, for instance, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, or things like that, which is an important issue. But how much of the of, of all of these quote-unquote meaty subjects, like, for instance, the priesthood of Melchizedek, uh, how much of that is the alien center to understand? You've got to teach him about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did. And you've got to teach him about the church that he purchased. You've got to teach him the requirements of one to be saved. And there you leave it. You know, I'm not going to go on this litmus uh, test and on this uh, laundry list of things that the alien sinner has to know before he becomes a Christian. But he has to understand, as you say, what he's being baptized into and for and what the purpose of of this uh, plan of salvation is. I've I've made the point that a person needs to understand that baptism is for his past, for the remission of sins. It's for his present to bring him into the body of Christ, into that relationship. And it's for his future that he might have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And he needs to understand those things. Sure. If he doesn't, he's not he doesn't understand what he's being baptized for. Right. Uh, We've got a follow up from Wade in Mount Pleasant. He said a quick follow up to that first email. He says, my point is, I'm not sure that the babe in Christ has to understand all truth. We know that Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you're not able to bear it, neither are yet able. 
He said, I don't think that the Ethiopian eunuch understood everything, but I do believe that he understood who Jesus was and what he did for us. I think he understood why he was being baptized. Now, whether he understood about music and worship or about other doctrinal questions, I cannot attest to. Right. The Christian church and the church of God both teach that baptism is necessary for salvation, that it is for forgiveness of sins. I think they teach the truth on who Jesus is and what he did for us. Now, I would disagree with them on a lot of doctrinal questions. When a man is baptized for the right reasons, I believe he is a Christian. I don't know how long God will give him to figure out the rest of that, but that's God's decision. So I think it's possible for there to be a Christian denomination. That's that's the, well, uh, that was essentially the point I was trying to make with that eunuch illustration there. Wade did a good job. Okay. And then... uh, Anthony, who we who wrote in earlier, also writes in again and says, if you can't say whether someone else is a Christian, how can you know if you're a Christian yourself? To the one who was saying, we can't judge these things. Right. Anthony's point is, if, if you can't judge them, how can you judge yourself? You don't know what it takes for them to be a Christian. How do you know that you did the right thing to be a Christian? I think it's a great point, Anthony. Sure. Well, we're out of time. Man, that went fast. We didn't get to all of the follow-ups, but we kind of touched a lot on the follow-up of the idea, can you be taught wrong and 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 continue, be continuously taught error and still be a faithful Christian. And I think we've pretty well come to the conclusion that's just not possible. Right. We made several analogies, your good analogy, about being taught wrong principles of mathematics. Being taught the wrong principles, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Take that one misstep, and then you'll never get a right answer. From then on out, everything else will be wrong. Right. So you can't be taught wrong and be right. And I think that's a, a worthy principle. And I think it goes to the point of our discussion tonight. Monty, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, and thanks again to the elders here at College View for this opportunity. We're glad that you've been listening tonight. Thanks for all who participated in the Virtual Bible Study. We didn't get quite to all the comments that were sent in, but I think we touched on a lot of them, most of them, a majority of them. We sure do appreciate your participation in the program tonight. We think that's what makes our program the best it can be. Making a regular appointment to be with us on Thursday nights for the virtual Bible study and tell other people also. Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday night. Until that time, read your Bible, live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.